I ask you to open your Bibles with me, if you would, this morning to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. It's good to have you with us this morning. We will now get back to our uh, study of Hebrews, which we have been doing on Sunday mornings with the exception of the um, special services that we've been having. But beginning again uh, this week, Lord willing, for, uh, for a while now on Sunday mornings, we'll continue this study. We, we'll get to chapter 7. We'll start doing some looking at chapter 7 uh, together this morning. But I want to kind of set the place again for a moment. Uh, one of the advantages, I suppose, to living in the age in which we live is you can go back and listen to uh, the weeks before this, even though they were weeks and weeks ago. You can go back and listen through chapter what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 if you're interested in doing that. But I want uh, to be able to get into chapter 7 today. We'll need to have some sense of where we are uh, this morning, and I want to take a few minutes to do that. Uh, before they do that, though, let's pray. Father, your word is quick and powerful. And this, word, this book, this book of Hebrews, through it you want to show us how great our Lord Jesus is, all by himself, how sufficient he is, all by himself to be everything that we need. Lord, help us this morning. Help us to understand this, to, to be able to lay hold of this. I feel very, very weak this morning, Lord, very incapable of expressing the things that you have shown me, the things that you have laid upon my heart for weeks and weeks, months and months, Lord, concerning uh, this wonderful truth. And I ask you that you'd help me to, to sum them and say them right, Lord. There are, there are notes in front of me, but Lord, the notes are all by themselves not enough. Lord, your word is enough. May we see what your word says. Cause us to be, to be able to enter into it. That which comes out of my mouth, or that which goes into the ear, let it bring you honor and glory. Let it bring us good. Boy, how we need your good. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, the first few verses. Uh, I don't know if, if anybody would get tired of hearing them, but I wouldn't get tired of preaching them. I want to just spend a couple of minutes and cause you, as you understand the purpose of this book as a whole, it's important that you understand the beginning of this book. So let's just read what it says. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now I want you to recognize the original audience. Think in your mind for just a moment who the original recipient of this word was. And it is the Hebrew people. Those who had begun to believe that indeed the Christ had come. That Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. And what this book is going to do as you read it, and I hope you spend a much, much, much time in it, 
As you read it, what you're going to realize is that God wants to convey to us one at a time that as great as everything was, as great as Isaiah is, as great as as Abraham is, as great as Moses is, as great as angels are, that Christ is better. One of the things we spent time at way back at the beginning, we first started looking at this, is the idea of the word better. See, when we think better, we think good, better, best. But God says that Christ is better, and when he says better, he means better than anything. Which would, by, of course, implication mean that Christ is always best. But what he does is he doesn't, now listen to me, we are so prone ourselves, when we want to compare one thing with another, we point out the shortcomings in the one thing, which makes it very easy then to see how the other thing is better. But if you read the book of Hebrews, God does not point out the shortcomings of Abraham or of Moses or of Aaron. He points out how greatly used they were, how greatly God himself used them. And then he says, as great as that is, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. It is hard. It is difficult. It is, it is uh, in fact, it is impossible for me using um, language to be able to convey, convey to you this morning how great Jesus of Nazareth actually is. How great the Christ, actually, how important this is to you. Now you say, but I'm already saved. I'm born again. I understand how important it is. No, you have some idea of how important it is. Those of you that aren't saved, you really have very little, if any, idea how, how, at all of how great Christ is. But those of us that are new creatures, you know, we'll celebrate um, my 51st birthday in just a couple of days. And I was saved when I was 22. So for almost 30 years, I've been a new creature. And I still, and, I, and, and Dr. Hardison would say the same thing, and he's well past 51. Daily, I realize how much greater the Lord Jesus Christ is than I thought he was. He is simply, he is simply everything. Absolutely everything. Everything that you need to be saved, Jesus is. Everything that you need to be kept, Jesus is. Everything that you need to grow, Jesus is. Listen, I'm not, the church isn't, Jesus is. The purpose, the purpose of assembling together, the purpose of preaching, the purpose of a pastor is to point you to how great Jesus is. If, if every child of God would wake up every morning and run right straight to Jesus, the, 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 our assembling would be simply worship. We would gather together and simply shout how great he is the whole time. The reason that instruction is given, the reason that, that counsel is given, the reason that preaching is done is so that you might hear again, listen, Jesus is greater than you think he is. Spend more time with him. You need him more than you understand. Go see him. He is everything. He hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Now let's read a little bit about that. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he, our Lord Jesus Christ, had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When he did everything, 
when he finished everything, he sat down. And by the way, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high because everything that was necessary for your salvation had been accomplished. Now, everything that is necessary for your sanctification, for your continuing, for your perfection is still being done and he's the one still doing it. That's the point of this book. He has accomplished your salvation. Now he is accomplishing your sanctification. He is now conforming you to his own image. He now liveth ever to intercede for you on your behalf and to pour out a power into your life that you don't have on your own. That's what our Lord Jesus is doing right now. That's what he's doing right now. That's what the book's about. Today we're going to spend some time looking at Melchizedek. Melchizedek is only, only appears in a couple, of past, a couple of verses, really, in the Old Testament. And yet much of this book it, it speaks of the greatness of the office that Melchizedek had so that you might have some better idea of the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's necessary that we look at those things, but it is so, when you start studying passages one at a time, one verse at a time, exposing them, it becomes so easy for us to get so caught up in the details that we miss the glory of why this matters. Why do I care what Mel, who Melchizedek is? Why do I care who Melchizedek is? Why do you care who Melchizedek is? See, this is not a, um, a, a critical thinking class. So why do you care? Why does it matter? And it matters because Melchizedek had nobody before him and nobody after him. And that's how Jesus is. See, the Aaronic priesthood, the Levites, they required a continuing new high priest, but not our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not one of many. He's the only. See, he's the only. Your great high priest, you may have many pastors in your life, but you only have one high priest. Amen? You have one Savior. You have one author. You have one finisher. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the message of the book of Hebrews. Everything you've ever needed, need right now, and ever will need, Jesus is all of that. I, I like to consider in my mind the, this portion of this passage in verse 3, in verse 3 where it says, um, when he had by himself purged our sins. Nobody helped him. Nobody helped him. By himself. By himself. You're not purging your sins. I hope your life is, is getting full of good works. Truly, I do. But you're not purging your sins with your good works. Jesus purged your sins with his blood. Jesus paid for your sins with his good works. Everything that you are not, he is. Every failure that you've ever had, he never had. One of the things that I'm beginning to enter into more and more and more is everything that I fail, everything that I fail at, there are certain things that I have never had victory over in my life, in my own life. Never had victory over those things. Jesus has never failed in those things ever. Amen. Amen? Isn't that marvelous? Think about this. Whatever it is in your life, whatever sin really, really is too great for you, it is too great for you. But it was never too great for him. Amen? And let me say this. He indwells you. He lives within you. That same sin that's not too much for him ever, it's not too much for him today in your life. Amen? Amen? Stop trying to win yourself. 
Stop trying to show God how great you are because you're not. Acknowledge that you're not. Confess that you're not. And let him do it instead. Lord, I cannot win this battle. No, he says, no, you can't. But I will if you'll let me. Amen? Christ in you, the expectation, not the wish. We misuse the word hope so much we misuse the word hope. The word hope does not mean wish. We say it all the time. I hope you have a good day. And what we mean when we say I hope you have a good day is it is my desire that you have a good day. I wish for you a good day. But what we don't mean is I expect that you will. And if you'll stop using the word hope where it's wrong and start using it correctly, you'll start understanding when the Bible uses it how significant it is. Yes, Christ in you, the hope of glory is not the wish against wish of glory. It is the expectation that it will happen. How can I have a glorious life? Because Christ is in you. How can I be changed? Because Christ is in you. And if Christ isn't in you, you have no hope. You have no expectation of ever being changed if Christ is not in you. But if he is in you, you have every expectation of being changed. Not because you're a good person, but because he's a great savior. Amen. Christ in you, the expectation of glory. How can it be? How how many of you recognize that? How many of you are sitting this morning, understand, have some sense, how can it be that great things could happen in my life? And the answer is because Jesus lives there. Because Jesus. And then when great things happen, you won't take the credit. You won't walk around and say, you know what I did? I'll say, yeah, I know what you did. You failed miserably. (laughs) I know what you did because I know what I do. Amen? No, I didn't fail. Then you didn't do it. If If there was victory in your life, Christ performed that victory. Amen? Yes? Boy, how we need to lay hold of that. You, again, going back to the, 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 uh, the, one of the songs that Bobby McKinney wrote, when you finally fail in trying, you will find success in dying. When you finally stop trying to impress God, you will be still and know that He is God, that salvation is of the Lord, that He will make you into the person He wants you to be, right? I am the clay he is the potter amen yes we are his workmanship we are not the church's workmanship we are not the pastor's workmanship we are not the sunday school teacher's workmanship we are not our own workmanship we are his workmanship let him do the work amen let him do what he wants to do your part my part is simply to humble myself and say yes yes please do that please do that I won't try to do it today. I won't get in your way anymore. I won't do my will anymore. I won't try in my strength anymore. Lord, you do it. You do it. And I expect to see it done. Amen? Anyway, that's verse 3. A little bit about verse 3. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. is actually a continuation of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10. You might want to, in your Bible, put a little circle around verse 10 of chapter 5, and then put a little circle around chapter 7, verse 1, and just write the other verse beside in your margin so that you'll recognize what's going on here. Verse 10, 5, 10, chapter 5, verse 10. Let me go back just a little bit. Let's just read verse 9, just for a little bit of context. 
And being made perfect, our Lord Jesus Christ, I don't have time to say, but he already is perfect. And the idea of being made perfect is you being aware that he is, being seen, being shown to be perfect. Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then parentheses. Everything that happens in verse 11, 12, 13, 14, and all of chapter 6 is a parenthesis before you get to chapter 7. Now let's look at the beginning of it because it will help you understand what is being said in the end of chapter 5 and all of chapter 6, which we have just spent weeks looking at, by the way. But let's look, let's sum it up. Of whom, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. What he's saying is this, I want to talk to you through the word of God a lot of things about the Lord Jesus Christ being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. But here's the problem, you're not ready to hear it. He's going to talk for a chapter and a half about them not being ready to hear it. You know, let me say this. I would say that American Christianity is less ready to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ as a priest after the order of Melchizedek than they were. Less ready. No real understanding of how significant it is. They were, this was hard for them. You want to know why this was hard for them? Because if the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, then what do we do with the Aaronic priesthood? What do we do with the Levites? What do we do with the temple? What do we do with the Holy of Holies? What do we do with all of that if the Lord Jesus Christ came to fulfill that and then put it all away and say he himself was everything you actually need? What do you do with it all? And the answer is this. You recognize that all of that was a picture of something and that Jesus has fulfilled all of that. You recognize that everything you see in the Levitical priesthood is important. It is significant. It is necessary. But Jesus already did it all. Everything you need. You know what's wonderful, truly wonderful is this. Jesus is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Amen? He is the Lamb of God. He is the offering. But he's also the only one that can take the offering into the Holy of Holies. He is not only the Lamb of God which paid for your sin, He is the only one that can take the blood into the Holy of Holies. He's the only one that can actually go into the real Holy of Holies, the one that was made without hands. He is the only one that can go before the Father and say, here is my blood which I shed for them. Amen? And that's what He's done. And He has fulfilled that. And then the veil was what? Ripped in half. Don't need to picture this anymore. Don't need to do this anymore. Why not? Because Jesus did it. It's all been done. Amen? Amen? And that's why it shifts from focusing on how he is superior to Aaron to focusing on how he is like Melchizedek. And that is this. There was nobody who handed it to him, and there will be nobody that he hands it to. He is all by himself. He is the only one that could do this, and he has by himself done all of this. Let's go to chapter, let's just go right to chapter 7, verse 1. And we'll just take a couple of minutes today to begin to introduce it. Oh, there's so much, there's really so much to say, so much to say. I really want to go back and look at the end of uh, chapter 6. See, this, you have to go, just go listen to it. Go, go, to, go on the website, search, um, search uh, Hebrew study, and just go back and listen to the last few sermons. Because I need to go into verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1. 
Now notice it says for this Melchizedek. Now I want you to picture in your mind, if you go back to verse um, 510, chapter 5, verse 10, called of God, a high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, for this Melchizedek. That's the point. That's the point. He's going, this thought continues what he was already saying. Now let's see what it says about him. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being first, being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now, there's a lot here, but I just want to look at two things. King of righteousness, king of peace. King of righteousness, king of peace. And I want you to look with me for just a moment at the order of them. Let's go to Psalm. Just, you, can, you don't even need your ribbon. We're not going to come back here. We'll come back here next week. We're not going to come back here today. Go to Psalm chapter 85. Psalm 85. Let's go to verse 7. Verse 7. Psalm 85, verse 7. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Notice this, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. How can I have salvation? How can I have peace? In order for me to have peace, there has to be a righteousness. Do you understand that? In order, please hear me. In order for me to have peace, there must first be a righteousness. You cannot have peace with God in your sins. You cannot have peace with God when you are in your sins. How many of you remember before you were saved how, how, how heavy your sins were? Do you remember how, remember how terrible your sins were? Do you remember how, how horrible they were? In the book, Pilgrim's Progress, Christian is walking around carrying this huge weight on his, on his, on his shoulders. This terrible, terrible, what I, what I did, the wrong book? Pilgrim, I'm sorry, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Walking around with this huge weight on his shoulders. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. Do you, do you, I remember, I still remember that day. I mean, I literally remember the day that God forgave me of my sins. It wasn't, listen, I was not enamored with how great God was the day that he forgave me of my sins. I was enamored with the fact that he forgave me of my sins. 
I couldn't believe that my sins could actually be forgiven, that they could actually be taken away. It was amazing to me that all that I have ever done, all that could ever be held against me, all that I was ever guilty of could be removed from me. Listen to me. God is not unrighteous. He does not say, it's okay, do whatever you want. That's not how he is. There is no back door into heaven. There is no back door into heaven. All that will be in heaven will be there because they are righteous. But you don't have your own righteousness. Right? I didn't have mine. If you have yours, if you have your own righteousness, let me tell you, it's not enough. It's not enough. If you're going to stand before God someday in your righteousness, you're in big trouble. No, no, no. You are in eternal trouble. You will be judged. That's it. Simply. You will be judged. You will be judged by what you think is good enough. And God will demonstrate to you that it's not good enough. It's not good enough. But you already know that in your heart. You already know that. If you're here this morning and your sins aren't forgiven, you already have some sense that it's not okay with your soul. It is not well with your soul. But remember the day that it was. But God made you righteous. I, I, again, I, can only, I, can, I can't convey your salvation, but I can convey mine. I, I had been present at a Bible study. I had been introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was excited about the Word of God. I was glad to go to the Bible study. I looked forward. I was, in, I was over in Europe on an aircraft carrier in the Mediterranean. And I was going to the Bible study with some godly men. And they, and they were wonderful godly men. And they were having a great time studying the Bible together. I mean, I'm just talking about sitting around, reading the Bible, rejoicing in how great Jesus is, looking at one verse after another, everybody being really excited, them letting me sit there and, and be a part of it, me being really excited about everything they were looking at, walking out one day, and God the Holy Spirit saying to me, you are excited about something that you're an observer of. You're an observer, but you do not possess these things. It is wonderful, and I am great, but your sins are not forgiven. You are not one of them. You are just watching this. And I began to be troubled. I was walking through the hangar bay. Anybody that's ever been on an aircraft carrier? Walking through the hangar bay. Walking aft, which means toward the back of the ship. And as I was walking, I thought, I need to, get, I need to go out and get alone with God. I need to go out and get alone with God. I need to know that my sins are forgiven. And so I walked to the starboard quarter, which is on the back, the, the aft of the aircraft carrier, on the yeah, right side of it, if you face, as you face the front of it. On the right side of it, as you face the front of it. And it's just a tiny little steel frame hooked to the back of the aircraft carrier. And there's only, there's only typically a few, there's not much room out there. There's only typically room for a couple of people. But there was nobody there. It was a very cloudy day. It wasn't raining, but it was a very cloudy day. But off in the distance, you could see the sun. Some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen ever in my life were at sea. Some of the worst things I've seen were at sea also. Just the inside of the ship, day after day after day after day. But it's, the view is beautiful. Standing out there, looking out there, troubled, troubled about my unrighteousness, about the weight of my own sins. I said, God, I need to be forgiven for my sins. I, personally, you have arrested me. You have alerted me to my own guilt. I must have the forgiveness of sins. Would you please, this was my request, would you please part the clouds? 
because I could see the sun off in the distance. Part the clouds and shine the sun through the clouds right to where I'm standing, right here on the starboard quarter, so that I will know that you have personally forgiven me of my sins. And God said, no. No. I've already done everything that I'm going to do to pay for your sins. Do you believe me at my word or not? Because, see, if I didn't believe God at his word, I would live the rest of my life through experience. But God said, I have something better for you than shining the sun on you. Jesus shed his blood to pay for your sins. Do you believe that or not? And I did believe that. And suddenly I realized for the, for the, very, for the first time in my life, and I grew up going to a, to a small church in New England, a Methodist church, where a social gospel was preached, but the things about Jesus were talked about sometime. But never, never did I hear or understand that Jesus paid for my sins when he bled and died on the cross. And suddenly I realized that that blood that he's shedding is actually payment for my sins. And I knew that. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us of all sins. And I suddenly knew that. And I said, I do believe you. I do believe you. And he said, and you're forgiven. I give you his righteousness. I declare you to have the righteousness that my son died to give you. And, I, and, and just, like, just like Christian, just like Pilgrim, it was gone. All, literally, every weight of all of my sins was gone. All of it. I, I walked back off the starboard quarter, back into the hangar bay, started walking across the hangar deck. And I'm not joking. You may think I'm weird. You may, I, I mean, I'm weird in many ways anyway. But I literally felt like I was skipping through the hangar bay. I was so light. I had peace with God. But listen, how did I have peace with God? Righteousness and peace kissed each other. I could not have peace until I was given righteousness. Amen. Do you understand? He is king of righteousness, king of peace. Not king of peace, king of righteousness. Before you can have peace, you must have righteousness. But Jesus Christ came to give you righteousness. Therefore, you can have peace. And so I have peace. I have peace with God, having nothing to do with being a pastor, having nothing to do with going into the ministry, having nothing to do with any of my good works. I have peace with God because Jesus Christ shed his blood for me. Amen? And because I have his righteousness, I have his peace. Do you have that peace? And I mean that honestly. Do you have that peace? Now, let me ask you this. There are two things about that peace. There are some people in here who don't have that peace because they don't have that righteousness. And there are some people in here who do have that righteousness, and yet you still don't have peace. To the first group, I say this. Repent. Repent. Acknowledge it. Let, let's talk about, let's talk for just a moment, if we could, about Justin's mom. Yes? If, if Patty were here today, she would say, please do. For many years, for many years, Patty went to church. Her parents are, were missionaries, overseas missionaries, full-time missionaries. At some point in her young life, she made a profession of salvation. She wasn't a new creature, but she made a profession of salvation. She walked for many years doing the right things and trying to keep up the appearance that everything was what it should be. Less than a year ago, at the tent meeting, during the invitation, the Holy Spirit convicted me in my heart. Somebody here, listen to me, somebody here is more concerned about what people think than they are about their own soul. 
Somebody here knows they're not saved and they will not repent because they don't want to confess that they've been pretending to be something that they're not for a long period of time. And if you were there, you remember she wasn't quiet about it. She, Patty stood up. She started hitting her own chest. It's me. It's me. It's me walking down the aisle. It's me, Pastor. It's me. I'm not saved. I'm not saved. And I need to be saved right now. Amen? And by the way, she got saved right then. And you tell me if there's not a difference. There's a difference just in her countenance. Amen? God made a wonderful change. But first she had to have his righteousness. Right? Right? Not a profession, not a baptism, not an attendance, not a membership. She had to have his righteousness. Once you have his righteousness, you can have peace. And she had that peace. Some of you are here this morning. And you say, preacher, I have, I have gone through this a hundred times. And I believe that I really am a new creature. I hope you are a new creature. I really do. But by the way, God is not offended if you keep asking him. If you're concerned about your salvation, ask God about your salvation. God is never going to say to you, that's too many times. You've asked me about your salvation too many times. I, won't, I don't want to talk to you anymore. That's, no, he's not like that. And we might get like that. You might talk to me about your salvation seven or eight times. I might say, you know, go talk to somebody else. I don't want to talk to you anymore. I wouldn't do that as your pastor. I wouldn't do that. But I know your God wouldn't do that. But some of you, some of you have sin in your life. Or, and really what it, let me say, let me restate that. You do have sin in your life. But really what it is is selfishness. Some of you have selfishness in your life, and your selfishness is robbing you of peace. First, in 1 John, 1 John says, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. What that means is this. If you have sin in your life, you know it, and you know God knows it, and so you don't have any peace. <laughs> but it's that same passage that says this, but if you will confess your sin, if you're a new creature and there's sin in your life, repent, repent, and, and confess, and he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and give you peace. He wants you to have peace. You know, one of the things that um, my greatest concern right now in America, my greatest concern in America is that there are not enough Christians that have peace. The world has nothing to see, very little to see. America has very little genuine Christianity to look at, very little of it, very little of it. And, and listen, listen, many of you, many of you, many of you, many of you, are guilty of this. Your extended family, your co-workers, your neighbors, they don't have anything to look at. They don't have anything to look at. Listen to me. You say, but I don't drink, and I don't smoke. I don't do any of those things. Do you have peace? Do you have peace? Do you understand? Do you, do you, have, any, do you have any idea how many religions in the world have rules? And the answer is all of them. All of them. The world doesn't need one more set of rules. The world doesn't need one more set of rules. The world needs to see somebody who has peace. Yes? Who has an actual real righteousness that was given to them that has changed their lives. That's what the world needs to see. That's what's needed. That's what's needed. You know what your, your extended family? Oh, I wish my extended family would get saved. Do you live that way? Do you live that way? Do you have peace? What do they see when they see you? Oh, I'm a wreck. Well, then what are they looking at? What are you hoping for them to see? Listen, can you, listen, hear me. Listen, picture this. 
Oh, my dear mother. Oh, my dear father. My brother, my sister, my grandmother, my uncle, my aunt. Don't be like you are anymore. Be like me. Let me, let me give you their answer. Why? 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 Because I'm saved. I don't know what that means. I'm a new creature. I don't know what that means. Well, you can see it in my life. No, I can't. No, I can't. I see somebody that goes to church, but I don't like church. I like fishing or golfing or going to the mall. Yes? Do you understand how important this is? Anybody at all? Do you understand how important this is? Peace. Jesus Christ is the king of righteousness. He is the king of peace. I can't, I can't make peace, but Jesus can give you peace. Amen? Let him. So many of you, I'm telling you, you should have, there should be a camera right here looking at your faces right now. There's, there's, there's very little rejoicing in what we're talking about right now. This is a problem. You know, years ago, there used to be a guy in the choir years ago. He's not here. Don't, they don't live in the area anymore. This is, this is many, many years ago, before I was a minister, before I was even out of engineering, and I was going to church here. And he came down to see me one day after we were shaking hands. And he said, I love to watch you sing. I said, you do? Why? Because he couldn't hear me. He's up in the choir. So I love to watch you sing. And I said, why do you love to watch me sing? He said, because week after week after week, I can see the joy in your face while you're singing. Now, I stand up here, and I see you all sing. And I understand why my joy meant so much to him. This morning, as I was standing here this morning, standing right here this morning, now I'm not going to, everybody's going to smile next week. I was standing out here looking at your faces while we were singing, and, they, and we were singing wonderful truths about our Lord Jesus Christ. And there was very little joy in your faces. We're, I don't even know why we do I, I'm telling you. You know, I, mean, I think I've shared this with you before. A young man, uh, his name will come to me. Somebody will tell me in just a moment. Uh, he came here. He went to Regent to be a lawyer. He had gone to uh, Pensacola uh, Christian College before he came here. Anybody remember his name? You can tell me now. Kevin. Kevin Lawrence. Kevin Lawrence, when he first came here, remember, he's going to Regent University. Regent University has a lot of people that go to different churches over there. A lot of them go to churches that really aren't the best churches for them to go to. He came here for just a little while. After a few weeks of being here, he came up and he said, boy, I'd love to have so many people at Regent hear you preach, but you're going to have to change your music because they're not going to come here and listen to the music here. And I said, we're not going to change the music, but I would to God we could change the way we sing it. We sang Fanny Crosby this morning, and we mumbled it like a bunch of dullards. And you say, preacher, you're being unkind. No, 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 listen, listen. Let's say we have a visitor this morning, honestly, and we do have a visitor this morning. Let's say one of our visitors is unsaved this morning. What did they see when we worshiped? What did they, let's be honest. What did they see when we worshiped? Did you worship? Was there any joy in your countenance? Now listen, do you th- now by the way, let me tell you something. Your, your unsaved family members, your, your co-workers and your neighbors, they understand what a plastic smile looks like because they've got one, okay? So that's not going to get it done. We can't come here, open our hymnals, and pretend to worship. We shouldn't have to, should we? Yes or no? Be, be, come on now, church. Yes or no? We're going to keep doing this? You want to just quit? You want to keep going on? Anybody want to say amen? 
No, no, okay. Anybody mean that? Do you recognize how important it is? Jesus Christ came to give you righteousness so that you could have joy. Amen? Yes? Do I have righteousness? Do you? I have righteousness. I do. And I don't have to pretend to smile. I really am happy about my, the righteousness that Jesus Christ gave me. I really do enjoy singing the hymn. I was thinking about today, I was standing up here and I was excited. By the way, one of you was smiling. Just I won't tell you who, but somebody was smiling. Unfortunately, it was a visitor, okay? All right. But one of, one of you was smiling as we were singing today. And I remember thinking, see, I bet everybody thinks that I'm smiling because I'm up here and I'm supposed to smile because I'm the pastor. But then I looked over at John and Kenny and thought, no, that's not it. So the... Uh, Real joy. Yes? Yes? Not pretend joy. Listen, if you have to pretend to have joy, you don't have joy. And if you don't have joy, you need to talk to God about why not. Are you a new creature? If you're a new creature, then why don't you have joy? And I mean that honestly. And the answer is because you're not rejoicing in how great Jesus is. You're letting something rob you of your joy. And let me just help you with what it is. Your selfishness. I don't know what it is specifically, but I promise you it's your selfishness that's robbing you of the joy that Jesus died so that you could have. Amen? Jesus didn't just die so you could go to heaven one day. Jesus died so you could have joy now. The, you know, Bob Bornfleth. Now, i got to tell you if, you, if anyb't ever met Bob Bornfleth, I don't, I don't know if I like him, I'll just make somebody else angry with me. Bob Bornfleth it was not a, um, what would be the word, happy-go-lucky kind of guy. He was a very, very serious-minded guy. Funny, really, really funny. Dry, dry, dry humor, though. Dry, really dry. If any of you guys ever Facebook with him, you know how dry his humor is. Almost odd sometimes, okay? You can tell him I said that. But what he had was a joy, a peace, and I could see it. So when God dealt with me about my sins, when God dealt with me about me, my, my lack of joy, my lack of happiness, my lack of love, when God began to deal with my heart, the Bible study that I was going to, it was the Bible study that he and his friends were having. Why did I talk to Bob Bornforth? Of all the people, the 6,000 people on aircraft carrier, why Bob? And the answer is this, because I knew he had something that I didn't have. I could see it in his face. It had nothing to do with his actions, although his actions, when I, once I started examining his face, I started to think about how he lived his life. And I thought, how can he be so happy he doesn't drink? He doesn't go out with girls. He doesn't do any of the things that we were doing. How can he be so happy all the time? And the answer is, he had Jesus. Amen? And he was rejoicing in that. And he was rejoicing in that. You want to have an opportunity? You want to have a real, you know, I got a chance to spend some time with Kathy's um, mom and dad again on, on Thursday. I'm excuse me, on Friday. And, and, and listen, listen, we had a, we, we talked about the loss of their grandson and the loss of my grandson. And yet we had a, we had real, real joy talking to each other about it. And they both need to be saved. But I didn't have to go in there and be religious. Do you understand? I just went in there and was who I am as a grandfather because I knew that they understood what that was like. See, God wants you to have real joy. The kids that come, the visitors that come, your extended family, your coworkers, everybody, your neighbors, what they need is to see how great Jesus is. You can talk about it all day long, but, they can, but they'll read this. They'll read this. Your kids will read this. Amen. You know, I mean, I can't, I mean, I can't even imagine how much our children need to, lead, need, need to see mom and dad just love Jesus. 
and be glad for what he's done in our lives. Amen? King of righteousness. And he gave you his righteousness so he could be the king of peace in your life.